Good morning, friends. Been away for two weeks. Uh, two weeks ago, we were at one of our church plants in Harrisonburg and got to ordain a young man to the priesthood, had a bunch of people commit or recommit their lives to Jesus, which was awesome. And then last Sunday, we worshiped in an island in the Pacific, Kauai, and we worshiped in a little home church of 30, um, and that was awesome, but it's, it's not home. So, so glad to be with you guys. We did get to watch the services uh, online, which was cool, so... If you have a Bible, which I hope you do, or if you have an app, Bible app, um, if you go ahead and make your way to Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9, it's the conversion of Saul, which is really St. Paul, the conversion of Saul to being Paul. So as you're making your way there, I'm going to tell you there are three folks that I know of that actually helped lead me to Jesus, three folks. Uh, they were all Episcopalians. One of them was a guy named Mo Gill, who directly... Uh, shared his testimony. He'd been a Christian a whopping three months. Uh, another one was actually an Episcopal priest from uh, Virginia Beach named John Jordan. He's gone to be with the Lord now. John was about five foot four, cross-eyed, and he was an all-American first team wrestler at VMI. I think maybe the only one they've ever had, uh, but he was certainly proud of that. And then, uh, so, so we had uh, Mo Gill, we had John, and then we had John's son, Hartley, and Hartley, at the time I met him, was 19 or 20 years old. He's a Down syndrome young man. But the way that he served in the church, carrying the cross and just greeting people, and the love of God that was in him poured out was so arresting to me as a non-believer, as a church person but non-believer. And so really, it's those three guys. But John actually went to seminary. He was ordained, and he was serving in a, in a small church. I think it was in South Boston, Virginia. And he was about a year and a half into ministry. His wife gets pregnant. And John suffered um, no lack of self-confidence. And he knew that his son was going to be the greatest All-American wrestler that has ever been. John figured out if I can get All-American with one eye, imagine what my son will do with two. Well, Hartley was born and. Hartley's a beautiful baby, but Hartley had some, a chromosome issue and, again, was, had Down syndrome. And John, that wasn't on his plan. That wasn't on his plan. He knew what his son was going to be, perfect, tall, famous, wrestler, and all that. And so when this happened, John went into his small country church in South Boston. And he was sitting there in a black shirt and a collar, for he was a priest, he was sitting there grumbling at the Lord, mad and crying over the fact that his son wasn't perfect. And he just started weeping. And as he wept, he realized, Lord, I've been to seminary and, and I'm ordained, but I don't even know you. Who are you, Lord? And he said he got down on his knees in a hot country church. It's about 1962 uh, or three. He knelt down there and said, Lord, I'm gonna, I want you in my life. John, the pastor, the priest, admitted he was not a Christian. He was broken. And he called out upon the name of the Lord and got saved that day, even though he was ordained. Very similar kind of story going on with Saul. So if you have your Bible, open it up, Acts 9. It says this, but Saul, who will later become St. Paul, 
But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus. So if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And so the first thing we want to hone in is on, it says Saul uh, was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples. Well, we know this is true. Galatians, in Galatians, which Paul wrote, he says, you've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently, and I tried to destroy it. So he himself admits he persecuted the church of God violently, and he was trying to destroy it. But when it says he was breathing out threats, I looked it up in Greek, and you can do the same thing. Can I tell you a little secret? There's a magic drawer, okay? All you got to do is get a blueletterbible.com. You put in your scripture verse. Over on the left-hand side, you click on tools, and it'll tell you every single word in the original Hebrew, or in, in this case, the original Greek, and tell you the meaning. So that's really cool. But while Saul was still breathing threats of murder, it says actually his, his nostrils, what it means is his nostrils were flaring. Not necessarily like a horse at the Kentucky Derby, though. That was an awesome race. <laughs> but like I'm talking about somebody just so incensed with rage. Maybe you've seen some of this on social media. So incensed with rage that their nostrils are flaring as sympathetic nervous systems in full gear and they're ready to consume with their bitterness and hate. And so he, he's such a goody two-shoes too. You know those kids in high, in high school that are always going to the teacher, teacher, teacher. I always went to my teacher trying to get extra credit. So my grades usually weren't that great. If I could get a gentleman's C, that was awesome. So usually if you do a little extra credit. That's what he was trying to do. He's trying to get extra credit. He was a very religious man. He's trying to gain favor. So everybody go, wow, Saul, look at you. Look how zealous. Look how much fervor you have. So he went to ask the high priest for letters. Why was he asking him for letters? He was so, uh, he hated Jesus so much and he hated his disciples so much and he loved uh, his own self-importance so much that he, he went for extra credit. He actually went to the high priest and said, hey, can I have letters from you that will help me gain my way even out of our country to the country of Syria where some Jews had relocated? Because it, Paul knew, or sorry, Saul knew that there were followers of Jesus in that place. So he got letters so he could just go through the checkpoints, if you will. He went out of his country to Syria, to Damascus, looking for any belonging to the way. And it says, as he went on, he approached Damascus. And actually, that's 150 miles, and it's over a week walk. I don't know about you, but I haven't walked that long in my life. Okay? Now, as he went on his way, it says, a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice say. Okay, so where's the light coming from? You think that might be instructive? Say, what's the difference between Judaism and Christianity on one hand and all other world religions? In the Old Testament, it says, Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. A wandering Aramean was my father. They're just a bunch of nomads out in the desert. But God went and made Israel his people. 
And so the Lord's always the one who, who initiates relationship, not us. It's not like other religions where we you know, study enough or work hard enough, climb the ladder, get enlightened. Then maybe you can know God. No, here we're seeing what we see all through the six, 66 books. God is doing something. He's initiating a rescue mission. So it says, a light from heaven flashed around Saul and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, I don't know about your mama, um, but down south, our mamas, when they're mad, will do one of, one of two things. One of two things. If they're a little mad, they'll say your name twice, right? Barbara, Barbara, come here right now. Or if they're really, really mad, Raymond Quig Lawrence Jr., you come here right now. Anybody have that from their mom or dad? Yeah. So I don't know that God's so mad at Saul, though Saul has been killing the Lord's children. But he wants Saul to pay attention. He wants to get his attention. So he calls his name twice, Saul, Saul. And he says something really weird. He goes, why are you persecuting me? Well, that's weird because, wait a minute, where's Jesus at this very moment this is going on? Is he on the earth? So I'm confused. Bob Williams, you taught me this. I'm confused. How could Jesus say, why are you persecuting me, Saul, when he's not even on the planet? Well, Matthew's gospel tells us. Jesus said, as you do it unto the least of these, my brothers, you do it unto so if you feed someone who's hungry or give them a drink of water or take them in, right, or visit those in prison, Jesus said, you're not just doing it to them, you're doing it to me. And that shows the Lord's tender heart, how closely he identifies with, with us. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I bet Saul was like, goodness gracious. At verse five, he, he said something, this is amazing. For a religious man who had been serving God his whole life, you know Saul, right? A Jew of Jews, a Pharisee of Pharisees, from the tribe of Benjamin, uh, so forth, so on, as to the law, blameless, right? He defends his life. He said, no one was more zealous for God's law than me, right? And so in the midst of this, uh, the only thing Saul could say is the Lord that he thought he knew spoke to him. He says, who are you? Who are you, Lord? Isn't this sad? I mean, we see in John Jordan's case, he was a priest, a pastor. He didn't know the Lord. He said, who are you, Lord? When he got broken. But many of us, we can ask the same question. We know about God, but I'm not sure all of us know God. Who are you, Lord? And then Jesus was quick to answer. I bet I bet Saul wasn't expecting this answer. He says, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. And what I love is look in verse six, something's about ready to happen. So isn't this awesome? God's doing this thing from heaven. He's being merciful. It's all grace. But friends, the gospel is that, but, but God saves us for a purpose. You see, I think in America, we watch it too much as trash on TV. I think we think God is basically an Aladdin's lamp or a concierge, right? to satisfy, as Bob Dylan says, our every wandering desire. But what we see in the midst of showing undeserved mercy and grace to Saul, 
He, he's also saying, hey, I want you to do something because we got, get this straight. I am God and you're not. I am God. I am the Lord. I am king and I have a kingdom. So I'm now, Saul, I'm going to tell you what to do. And so he says this. He says, I want you to rise and enter the city. And you're going to be told what to do. Verse 7, it says, the men who were traveling with Saul stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And verse 8, it says, Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. You know, many of us, we can see. We can see, but we can't see. They'd be ever seeing, but not seeing. Ever hearing, but not hearing. Paul's eyes were opened, and yet he was blind. And it says, so they led him by the hand. They brought him to the place he was going anyway, to Damascus, verse 9. And for three days, Saul was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Three days, he didn't have anything to eat or drink. I'm embarrassed to tell you this story. Some of you have heard it. Our church occasionally would call a church-wide fast. If the people who are called by my name will humble themselves and fast, right? I'm going to answer them from heaven. So on one particular Good Friday, we call for a church-wide fast. And I was feeling good about it at 7 a.m. and 8 a.m. and 9 a.m. and 10 a.m. and 11, not so happy, and 12. And can I be honest, by the time it was like 3, 3.30, I was starving to death. Well, not literally starving to death, but I felt like I was starving to death. And then I began to say, well, technically, what is a fast? <laughs> right? Isn't a fast just like eating solid foods? So I was like, Lord, you know I love you. You know I'm under grace. I think I'll just give me something to drink. So I slid on over to elderberries. Now, I don't know if y'all know about this special elderberries drink, but it's called a peanutter. God has never put more calories in one cup. And so I got the large one because I was thirsty. And, um, and I sucked that thing down like a Hoover vacuum cleaner. And I, I was feeling a little bit guilty. And I looked up from my straw and I saw three Church of the Holy Spirit <laughs> members there. Friends, we, we're not the best fasters. We could learn that Christian gift. I'll chase one more rabbit quickly. My friend, Dave White, was releasing an album. He fasted without any food for 40 days. I said, Dave, how was it? He said, it was miserable. I said, did the Lord really do amazing things in your life during those 40 days? He goes, no. <laughs> but he said the next week was amazing. He said, God, God anointed when we were doing our recording of this instrumental, look up Dave Wyke if you want your soul soothed. God poured his blessing out on Dave as he played, just like uh, David used to play for King Saul. Verse 10, that says, now there was a disciple at Damascus, so God's working something else. There was a disciple at Damascus, his name was Ananias. That name means gift of God. I looked that up so you can do that on Blue Letter Bible and everybody will think, wow, you're smart. But the thing I love about the names in the Bible is they usually mean something. What a gift Ananias would be to Saul. You'll see in just a second. 
There was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord said to Ananias in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord. The Lord said to Ananias, rise and go to the street called Straight. You ever wonder where we get the phrase Straight Street? Where that name came from? Go to a street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man, one man, man of Tarsus. His name is Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he is seen in a vision. I think that's really interesting. Blind man seeing. He has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him that he might regain his sight. So the Holy Spirit is doing this in the heart of a believer, Ananias, telling him to go to this place because there's going to be a man named Saul of Tarsus who, who also God would have spoken to, and he's going to know that you're going to come and lay hands on him. Okay, so here we, we pick it up. Verse 13, but Ananias. See, everybody wants a God, everybody wants a Lord, everybody wants a Savior, but God actually calls us to do things. He has commands, and his commands are not burdensome, but he, he has a command here. He goes, um, I want you to go do this. Lay hands on this man. But Ananias goes, well, well, Lord, are you sure you got the right Ananias? I mean, there might be a lot of Ananiases in Syria. I'm not sure you got the right one, God, because this guy is a tormentor of the church. He's destroying the church. He's killing people. And God said, yep, that's the one, all right. You know why that's beautiful? There are a lot of folks, even in the blueness of our pews this morning, you'll sit in a pew, but you won't receive the grace of God because you've done this or that. You think, well, God can forgive these little sins, but he could never forgive mine. Friends, this story God put in the scriptures to let you know no one is outside his reach. I, I, I love seeing that awful man, Ted Bundy, came to Christ. I actually heard the, 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 the uh, hour-long thing he did with James Dobson so many years ago, right before he was put to death. He goes, I did it. I deserve to die. I've met Christ. I want all the money from this to go to the victims. He could never make atonement for his sins, but he did receive the grace of the Lord. A, a murderer as heinous as Ted Bundy. If he'll do that for Ted Bundy or Saul, he'll certainly do that for you if you're far from him. And he says, go. Uh, in verse 15, the Lord said to him, go, this man is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And look at verse 16. It says, for I'm gonna show Saul how much he must suffer for my name. So just because the Lord calls you to be his kid doesn't mean it's going to be easy. If, if you were to turn quickly to 2 Corinthians, put that in your browser. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three. go there, or in your Bible. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three. Paul's, when the Lord says, I'm going to show you how much Saul's going to suffer, this is how much he suffered. Saul, who became Paul, says this, are any of these men servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Five times, he said, I received at the hands of the Jews. And that means the Jewish leaders who hated Jesus, not all Jews. 
I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. They thought 40 lashes would kill a man, so they laid one off. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from the rivers, danger from the robbers, danger from my people, my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the cities, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and in hunger and in thirst. Hmm. Often without food and cold and exposure. And he says, and apart from these things, I bore the anxiety or the pressure of leading all the churches. Paul, when, when, when God said that Saul uh, would suffer, he surely did. He's not man that he should lie. Let's finish it. After God reveals this to Ananias, Ananias departs. He does what the Lord says, verse 17. He enters the house and then he lays hands on this murderer, this man who hates Christians and hates Jesus, Saul. And then he says the most amazing thing. I mean, this is hard to get your mind around, but it would be much like if you were Jewish and a prophet and God says, I want you to lay hands on Adolf Hitler. No, Lord. No, that's the guy. I'm going to have mercy on him as I had mercy on you. And as he, Ananias comes up, he says, brother Saul. Treat him as a brother. What I want you to know is if your sin is awful, welcome to the club. We're all sinners, all like sheep have gone astray. There's no sin so bad that I, who have received mercy, cannot extend God's mercy to you. Brother Saul, receive your sight. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared on the road to you, by which you came, has sent me so that you, you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the last two verses, verse 18, it says, And then immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Some of us have literally had that experience. The Bible talks about the Jews. They're God's people, not us. Don't come with some new thing that the church has replaced the Jews. No, 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 no. The Jews are God's people. He made a covenant with them. He calls them the natural branches. But scripture also is very clear that he has put a veil over most of their eyes so they cannot see Jesus as Lord and Messiah. And then the gospel is going to go to the Gentiles, to the lost pagans, if you will, to the Gentiles. And then when God's people see that, they'll be provoked to jealousy. And it's only when he removes the scales that they'll be able to see and worship their Messiah, Jesus Christ, Lord of Lords, King of Kings. So I want to close by asking this simple question. Are you like John Jordan? Are you like Saul? Very religious. Very, people say, oh, I'm very religious. I'm like, I hope I'm not. I'm very spiritual. Why bother? Do you know about God, but not know him? One day the Lord said, you know, it's like going to a birthday party of a kid you don't know. Any of you guys ever experienced that as a child? 
Your mom made you dutifully go to some birthday party you didn't want to go to. You don't even know the kid. How bored was that? It was worse than going to symphony. The Lord doesn't want us to be in the body but not know him. He doesn't want any of us to say, who are you, Lord? He wants us to know him. And sometimes it starts with just the honest admission. I don't know who you are. Would you show me? And so we're going to open our rails. As always, you can pray these center rails by yourself and no one will bother you. But maybe today you need somebody to pray with you. It could be for salvation. It could be that you have an illness. We have people with serious things going on. It could be a, something you want to give thanks for. Would you come and receive the gift of prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? Amen.